excited about being a part of something bigger than myself. And something that's going to last beyond my lifetime. Amen? Something that has eternal implications. That's what the church is about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. I want to join my wife in welcoming each and every one of you. We're so glad that you've come to be with us here today. And it's certainly our honor that you are here. And we trust that you will feel God's presence. And also, if there's anything that we can do to be of service to you or a blessing to you, that's what we're here for. That's our role and our job, and we take it seriously. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. The Bible says, Jesus said to them all, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This is one of the statements of Jesus that uh, if you lack an understanding of the rest of the Bible, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, But we want to bring clarity to what Jesus was saying here because it's an important statement. Jesus said, if any will come after me, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Whosoever will save his life, you're going to end up losing it. If you keep your own life, you end up losing your life. But whosoever will lose his life for the sake of Jesus Christ, the same will save it. We continue today in our first love series. Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus said, I have somewhat against you, church in Ephesus, even though you've done a lot of great things. You have left your first love, and you must return to that. And today our theme within the First Love series is all of me. All of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your word and its ability to bring transformation. We know, Lord Jesus, that uh, we can only accomplish so much through human effort. But Lord, when your word begins to work... Your word has power. Your word created the worlds. Your word holds the worlds together. Your word today is the key to us accessing your favor and blessing. Understanding and being assured of what you have to say in your word will give us the pathway to your power and your presence and your provision. I pray today that in the next few minutes that you would bless our time together. God, that people would hear the word with the right type of ears, that they would hear the word and receive it and apply it, that they would hear the word and they would gladly receive it, put it in application to their heart. And we pray that as a result, Lord God, households would be blessed. Families would be blessed. Individuals would be blessed. Our community will be blessed, Lord God, because there's a church of people that are committed to you and walking in your word. In Jesus' name we pray these favors. Everybody shout amen if you agree. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you and you may be seated. So, I could ask you today if you had a good Valentine's Day. 
did you uh, enjoy time with someone special? And uh, Valentine's Day is a time when we remember or are reminded of our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our husband, or our wife. Now, there's a difference, a little bit of a difference between a girlfriend and a wife. Because there's difference between dating and marriage. Do you agree with that? You understand there's a big difference there between dating and marriage. Now, there are some people, I've seen this before, maybe you've observed it. There are some people that you're like, how long are you going to keep dating? When are you going to pop the question? When are you going to say, I do? And everybody looks back and steps back and says, yeah, they're afraid of commitment. There's a, a fear of commitment because the difference between dating and marriage could be summed up in this word. The word is commitment. And it's a difference between really liking somebody and liking spending time with them and saying, I'm willing to sign on the dotted line and I'm willing to say, I do. And then... It's all done. Somebody said that marriage is not just a word. Marriage is a sentence. A life sentence, right? (laughs) And uh, somebody else said marriage is like a violin. When the sweet music is over, the strings are attached. Still. And uh, those of you that are married, you know that the, the married life is full of excitement, but it also has its frustrations as well. And somebody described it this way. In the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. The second year of marriage, the woman speaks and the man listens. By the third year, they both speak and the neighbors listen. Somebody said love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. And then uh, there was the gentleman who said, I never knew what happiness was until I got married. And then it was too late. Amen. (laughs) This is cynical, right? Somebody said, why bother with marriage? Just find a woman you hate and buy her a house, right? Somebody said, what's the difference between marriage and death? What's the difference between marriage and death? The difference between marriage and death is that a dead person is free. Right? Right. Well, here's the deal. I know we're playing and having fun right now, but one day, about 15 years ago, almost 16 years ago, Rich Brown, the single guy, died. He did. The old man died. And I made some commitments before God. And I was born again under the terms of the marriage covenant I was now a part of. And so in order for marriage to work, yeah, the old person that you were has to die. 
in order for you to be reborn in the covenant of marriage. See, because marriage is not just an agreement and it's not just a ceremony, it's not just a romantic thing to do, but it is a covenant. It is a deep and abiding commitment. That's why the preacher has you repeat the words for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. I think it was funny. I saw a picture that made me laugh the other day that these are the same uh, the, the, the same uh, vows that were repeated by uh, by Prince William and and uh, his wife Kate when they got married for richer for poor. I think they're going to stay rich probably, uh, but they said it anyway. And then finally, to death do us part. And there's one powerful part of the marriage commitment that a lot of people forget or, or don't really think about. You say forsaking all others cling only to you that means all the girlfriends all the pursuits all the flirting all of that you forsake it and you hold only to your spouse this is the commitment of marriage see marriage is biblical marriage is a completely exclusive relationship you should not get married unless you can give someone your whole heart. If you're holding out, don't get married. If you're still checking out the other girls, don't get married. Can, can I give you some really good old-fashioned advice here? If you're not sure if you love her with all your heart, then you probably need to wait a little while. Because marriage requires all of me. Can you imagine if I had gone to Tamra 16 years ago and I said, I found what I've been looking for. I'm so glad that I found you. I've waited my whole life, 27 years, looking for the special one. And when I'm with you, I know that I've found everything that I need and I'm complete and uh, I'm happy and I want to live the rest of my life with you. And just laid my heart on the line. And then her response to me was, Rich, I love you too. And I absolutely love hanging around with you and spending time with you. And I'm, I'm willing to commit to you. I really want you to be in my life. But there's only one condition. I still want to be able to see other guys. Uh, that's going to be a problem, right? Because the only way we're going to be able to go forward is as if it's all of me and all of her. You know, you remember back in the day when you used to carry pictures in your wallet? I don't even carry a wallet anymore. But And uh, you'd have that picture on the front. Remember the, the, the picture in the first spot was the special girl, you know? You guys don't know what I'm talking about? You know, the one like... You open it up like six times a day and look at it. You know, okay, it's like on your phone, right? Okay. It's your screensaver. Right? Or your profile pic on Facebook. There you go. So, but back in the olden days, we had actual pictures that would fade and wrinkle and so forth. And you look at it so many times, it starts getting wrinkled. So, th this is a, a, a way that some people could do it. They, they have the picture of their special one. And then like in the back, remember, 
like you have pictures of the other girls that you used to like or that you kind of like or that your friends. Uh, maybe sometimes when you're going to be with your girlfriend, you put the pictures where you can't see them. They're like behind the other ones. Uh, so, but, but it's a problem. It's a problem if you're deciding to get married and you got the picture, her picture on the front, but then behind it, you got all the other pictures, right? Because it's not a matter of just being first. It's a matter of being the one and only exclusive relationship. Now you guys would have a problem. We would have big problems if you saw me out at a restaurant sitting across the table with somebody who wasn't my wife. Hey, right? That'd be a problem. Because you'd have to tell somebody about that. Whether it's a woman or a guy that looked like a woman, whatever it was, we have problems. And, uh, and uh, if you called my wife and said, hey, I saw Pastor Brown out with somebody else. And she said, oh, that's okay. I know that I'm first in his life. And that ain't going to work, right? It's not a matter of just being first. It's a matter of being the only one. And see, what I want, I want to endeavor to communicate to you from the word of god today is this is the kind of relationship that jesus christ asks for and expects of those that are going to follow him it is an exclusive relationship it is a relationship that's going to require every bit of you it's not enough for him that he is first in your life he wants to be the only one in your life. Now, the fact that my wife would have a problem if I was out with another lady is not indicative of her insecurity or her being possessive. It shows her to be devoted and loving. And we need to understand about our God that He is loving. He loves us with a jealous love. And his passion is that he would have all of us. And anything less is perfectly unacceptable. Amen. Do you guys get the picture here? Anything less in marriage is unacceptable. Anything less in our relationship with God is unacceptable. He said to the church in Ephesus, return to your first love. It's not enough that you're doing the right things. Return to the way that you love me at first and also make sure that I am first place in your life, in your affections and your commitments. Amen. Praise God. So to to help illustrate this this point of our commitment to the Lord, I want to use marriage as an example. Marriage, that moment of promise and commitment. Have you ever heard it called wedlock before? It's wedlock. It's locked and there's no key, right? It's, it's a done deal. Wedlock. Because marriage is an ancient covenant. I think it's interesting that they're trying to redefine marriage the way it's been for thousands of years. And now it's an effort to redefine marriage. It is an ancient covenant. A moment of promise and commitment. And in order to really get a picture of what this means, you have to know what the word covenant means. It's a very important biblical word. The word covenant appears in your Bible in the King James Version 272 times. It's a pretty important word, right? Very important. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, the word testament 
doesn't mean just a book. It means a covenant. And when you read the New Testament, the word testament is another word for covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. The Bible is all about covenant. In Jeremiah 31 and 31, it says this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt because they broke that covenant, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. The old covenant was established with Abraham and it was characterized by bloody altars and animals being slain. The new covenant was established through Jesus Christ. And it's characterized by a bloody cross and the blood that was shed by the spotless Lamb of God. Covenant, this important Bible word, means a cut where blood flows. The purpose of a covenant is to create a binding agreement that's more powerful than a contract or a regular agreement. A covenant was to be forever the lifespan of those that were participating. It was to be holy, sacred, and violating the covenant would mean death. So the blood covenant has been used for centuries as a means whereby two people, two families, two tribes, two villages, two towns could enter into a binding, unending agreement. Now the most well-known of ancient covenants was a marriage covenant. And oftentimes, they would cut the covenant by cutting a finger, a thumb, and mingling the blood, and then doing such a thing to where the scar would continue to show, whether it's putting in some kind of material that would cause the scar tissue to be more noticeable. Why? Because this was the sign of the covenant. And so, just like today, if you're a single guy and you're wanting to talk to a single girl, or you hope she's a single girl, you're wanting to meet her, what's the first thing you look for? Right? Somebody's like, I don't know. Is she pretty? (laughs) You look for this right here, right? Because that's the sign. Oh, she's already in covenant with somebody else. And so this is, the, 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 the marriage ring has replaced the ancient sign of an ancient covenant but it wasn't just for marriage people and and communities and tribes could enter into covenant together and it was like a marriage it wasn't literally a marriage but it was like a marriage and it had a similar process whereby there would be the mingling of the blood and a way for this to be forever indicated with a scar right and so let, let me give you an example let's say there are two tribes of people One of them is a tribe of excellent fighters. They're just great warriors. The other one is a tribe of people who are great farmers and shepherds. So you've got great warriors and great shepherds. The problem is the tribe of great warriors is starving. And the tribe of farmers and shepherds is vulnerable to attack from outsiders. And so they're like, 
Let's come together. And what's going to happen is we're going to come together as one and we're going to covenant with each other. And whenever somebody attacks, you're going to fight for us. And when we're hungry, you're going to provide food for us. It is a mutual agreement. But when they entered into covenant, much like the marriage covenant, their identity as an individual group had to die so that they could be reborn as a new entity where two become one. Anybody heard that before? These two become one flesh. And the cut made during the ceremony would be treated to produce a scar. And the scar was evidence that a covenant had taken place. So if you were a thief or if you were a marauder and you came to attack a farmer and you noticed on his hand was the scar, you know you've got a hold of something bigger than you can chew because it's not just this man, but he's in covenant with somebody else. And whenever you mess with him, you're messing with his covenant partner as well. And if you want to take from him, you've got to get past his covenant partner as well. And so the old ancient covenant was a way where people would entering into these relationships that were enduring. And today, marriage is the closest agreement to blood covenant in modern society. However, marriage today has lost a lot of that and become more like a contract than a covenant. So when we look at the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the question is, Where did it all begin? Are you guys still with me? Is this okay? Amen. Anybody need some coffee? How did it all begin? It begins in Genesis chapter 17. Because God is looking for a covenant partner. God has a plan to redeem mankind. To show himself to the world. And to look for those that are willing to follow him with an obedient faith. That's God's plan. And he didn't have to come up with it. Johnny, come lately. The Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. God had an eternal plan that he was going to redeem lost mankind through Jesus Christ. But he said, I need a covenant partner. I need somebody that's going to be my witness. I need somebody that's going to preserve my plan and preserve the word. And I need somebody through who through whose lineage the Christ is going to be revealed. And not just his physical man, but the principles and the values of the word of God are going to be protected. And it's going to be through a covenant that I make with somebody that I can trust because this is big business here. We're talking about the redemption of the world. We're not talking about some little project. Uh, We're not talking about some little thing that uh, will matter for a little while. We're talking about eternal significance. And God said, I'm looking for somebody that I can enter into covenant with uh, whose lineage and seed is going to be a part of a legacy of turning the world upside down and bringing redemption to a lost world. I'm looking for a covenant partner. And in Genesis 17, he approached a man named Abraham and said, will you join in covenant relationship with me? We're not talking about two tribes, and we're not talking about a man and a woman getting in covenant together. But we're talking about an invisible God and a human being, just like you and me. And God said, I want to enter into covenant relationship with you. 
In Genesis chapter 17, God said, I want to be in this relationship. And as a result, I'm going to multiply you greatly. Out of you, many nations will come. You will be the father of these nations. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land called the land of Canaan, now known as the land of Israel. It's going to be your everlasting possession. Amen. You know why that little nation of Israel, amen, that's been maligned through the years and subject to so much anti-Semitism and destruction is still in place today? It's not because they're the smartest and they got the best weapons or they're the most powerful. It's because they are in covenant relationship with the God that has all power in heaven and in earth. So it doesn't matter who would try to come against them and to destroy them. If God be for us, who can be against us? Abraham said, I'll enter into covenant with you. God said, this possession is for you an everlasting possession. I'm going to bless you. But not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless them that bless you. And I'm going to curse them that curse you. Anybody want to know the secret to the United States success? Why we're one of the most blessed nations in the world? It's because we protect and look out for the interests of covenant people. When our president, when Congress, when the House of Representatives starts turning against Israel, I get nervous. Amen. Because uh, those that bless them will be blessed of God and those that curse them will be cursed of God. It's 2015. It's thousands of years later. But covenant is eternal. Covenant. Covenant. Relationship. God said, I'm going to enter into this with you, Abraham. I'm going to enter into covenant with you. It's going to be huge blessing. It's going to be massive legacy. It's going to be epic in its impact on the world. But it's going to require complete commitment from you. Because I'm not going to enter into covenant with somebody who's kind of half-hearted about it. I'm not going to enter into covenant and invest this kind of potential into somebody that I'm not even sure if they're going to stick with it. And so check it out. God entered into covenant with Abraham. And, and, and if you study the scripture, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. The circumcision of the flesh. This was the seal or the sign. Just like the scar in the hand. It was a scar to eternally show that these people were in covenant with God. And so guess what God did then? God said, and this is, this is where the God thing gets challenging for us to understand. But God said in, in Genesis, uh, I believe, let me see what chapter it is. It's chapter 22. God said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, before, before you, un, to get the full impact of what God was saying here, you must understand that Abraham had waited 100 years for his supernatural firstborn son from Sarah, Isaac, to be born. When he was born, just like a grandpa, you know how grandpas are crazy about those little grandkids. That's what I tease. Eden is, is my own grandchild, right? I had my own grandbaby, age-wise. I don't, you're just staring at me. What's going on? That's weird. <laughs> and there's something about when you get old and the little and the little grandbabies. Well, this is what the way Isaac was. He was more of a grandson than a son. But he was his precious beloved child. Cute. Big eyes, curly hair. 
waited generations. All the promises are wrapped up in this boy. And God says, take him now. Get up tomorrow. Take him up to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to the Lord. And Abraham knew that meant he was going to have to take his son and tie him up like an animal. He was going to have to take his son and slice his throat and hear the gurgling blood and the death cry. And the Bible says that he took his boy and he walked up the mountain the next day. And he got to the top of the mountain and bound him hand and feet and took the knife to kill the thing that was most precious to him. And God said, Abraham, Abraham, stop. He said, let let me read exactly what it says because you can't improve on the Bible. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. God said, I can trust you with the covenant because I know I've got all of you. You're not going to withhold anything from me. God didn't want to kill Isaac. God wanted to know if Abraham was all in. He wanted to know if he had all of Abraham's commitment and affection. Because you've got to remember, this covenant deal is important stuff. And he's not going to enter into covenant with just anybody. He took the most dear thing and asked, do you love me more than you love Isaac? Do you trust me enough to give me everything? Covenant requires all of me. He must be Lord of all. Because he's entrusting and blessing you with a lot. He must be Lord of all. Now Luke chapter 14 verse 26. We see another verse that's like kind of shocking. Same way with, the, with, with the, this verse with Abraham. Look at what it says in this passage. If any man come to me. And hate not, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Amen. I know this is, this is hard to look at, right, for right now. It's like, what in the world is this talking about? I've got to hate my mother, my father, my wife, my children, my brother, my sisters, my own life also. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. These are the words of Jesus that got people's attention. Right? Because you, why don't you compare this to the way that church and Christianity is marketed today. Right? Hey, if you come to church, man, you're going to be blessed and your life's going to be awesome. And there's going to be so many doors open for you. And there's going to be joy and there's going to be peace. Now, all of this is a part of the equation you can read in the word of God. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me. You got to, and you're not willing to hate all these individuals. You can't be my disciple. Now, understand, we said this a couple weeks ago. The Lord doesn't want us to hate anybody. That's what the Bible teaches. So what is it saying here? When you look at the Greek meaning and, and uh, understand the fundamental meaning of this passage, it means you must love him so much more than all of these things uh, that your relationship with all of these things almost looks like hate in comparison. What is this passage saying? This passage is saying, I don't want to be first among many loves. I want to be the only 
passion in your life. Uh, And you love your wife, you love your children, you commit yourself to them. But understand that the commitment to following Jesus Christ, uh, I'm talking to some people in this house uh, that are a part of covenant relationship. uh, And it's important to understand uh, that there's got to be something inside of us that says, God, you got all of I'm not holding anything back. I'm not resisting in any way. I have surrendered everything that I am and everything that I have to you. But most believers say, God, I love you. I'm committed to you, but let's not be exclusive. But Jesus made it very clear. He's not going to share your affection. And following Jesus requires your whole heart. See, there's a lot of talk in the church about believing But there's not much talk about following. That's off balance, right? Because we got to talk about believing. But we also, Jesus talked a lot about what it means to follow him. And it's not just affirming in your mind that he's real or liking him or being uh, affectionate towards him. It's about a commitment of your life. Amen. And I just want to remind you today that Jesus said, I didn't say it. I would have probably said something completely different and softer and so forth. But Jesus said, if any man follow me, amen, he must deny himself, take up his cross, lose his life and follow me or he cannot be my disciple. If you follow him, he is to be your one and only. So committed to him that by comparison, you don't even like anything else. Amen. And, and, and so, just, just so you know, that trying to follow Jesus part-time or trying to follow him half-hearted is impossible. L- look at the parables of Jesus. This, you don't hear this preached a lot, but it's all up in the Bible. Jesus said there was a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, and he had a lot of them. He had a lot of pearls. He brokered with pearls, but he found one pearl. The Bible says a pearl of great price. When he saw the value of it, he wanted it so bad that the Bible says, y'all still with me? This is Bible right now. The Bible says he went and sold everything that he had, all of the other trinkets, all the other pearls, all the other special things that he had. He sold it all to buy this pearl of great price. And the Lord said, that's what the kingdom of God's like. That people say, this is to me something I am so passionate about and so committed to that I'm selling all out. Amen. He said it's also compared to a man that found a treasure hidden in a field. This is powerful. I love this one. It's a treasure in a field. So that means there's a vein of gold running up under the ground of this field. And he found out about it somehow. Or maybe in our modern vernacular, it's an oil well up under the ground. And he found out about it. And the Bible says with joy, he went and sold everything so that he could buy this field. Because he recognized that there is a treasure in the field that nobody can see and nobody understands. And it makes no sense to nobody that I'm selling and everything to buy this old abandoned field. But what they don't know is that there is a treasure in the field. And the Bible says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Is somebody when they found what they've been looking for they found the real thing. They found truth. And they say there is nothing that I am not willing to release to take hold of this thing because I know that everything I want and everything I need is in the field. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the things that were special to him, he's happy to sell it now. 
all the things that matter to him with joy. He's parting with it so he can buy the field. Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who said, Jesus, you are everything to me. I see that I can be a part of covenant relationship that has eternal significance. Count me in. I want to sign on the line. I want to give everything for him. Hallelujah. 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 Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, this is my text, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. This verse of Scripture makes no sense. If you don't understand the principle of the covenant, here's the point. You cannot enter into covenant without a death of your sense of self. Complete death of self. And when do you know that somebody's dead? You know they're dead when they have released everything, right? When there is no more control, when there is no more uh, effort to endeavor to influence what's going to happen, it is released to God. Amen. When we maintain control over any area, we're not dead yet. When we choose or, or choose not to release any area to God, we're not dead yet. See, because covenant means what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. It's not mine anymore. It's ours. Amen? And in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you got to get to that point where you release it all to me. Because you can't follow Jesus without denying yourself. Boy, we don't hear this preach very much, do we? we got to deny ourselves. That phrase we mentioned last week means more than just saying no to yourself. It actually means that you don't acknowledge or recognize your own existence apart from Him. That I have denied myself. Lots of talk about believing Jesus. Ain't much talk about denying yourself. Amen. I know it's an unappealing message. This is not how you market. How do you deny yourself in a culture that says it's all about you? You deserve a break today. How do you you present this in a world where everybody is focused on catering to self? Amen. You've got to accept the invitation of Jesus, but you have to say no to yourself. You have to deny yourself. You ever seen the guy before that goes to the gym? And uh, he's going to work out at the gym, and you see him getting out of the car? And he barely fits out the door of the car, right? And he, but he's going to the gym. But before, on his way to the gym, he stopped by uh, Dairy Queen and got a blizzard, right? So he's eating, a, eating a, a, a Butterfinger. No, no. Peanut butter cup. Blizzard before he goes in. Because he, he wants to accept the call to go to the gym and to get in shape, but he doesn't want to deny himself. And say no to himself. This is the deal with so many people that they're, they're like, I want to be a part of this, but don't tell me to tell no to myself. Come on now. Don't, don't cause me to surrender anything that is important to me 
because uh, I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, you know. And then in the meantime, I like Jesus and I, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of the Lord. But what you need to understand is that being a follower of the Lord requires complete and absolute commitment to him. If you're going to follow Jesus, a casual, no strings attached arrangement is not a possibility. That ain't going to work here. Right? Uh-huh. It's like my... Yeah, hopefully your wife said, if you're going to marry me, it's all or nothing, buddy, right? It's all or nothing. And this is the way it is with Jesus Christ. He's looking for followers. He's looking for disciples. Amen. And, and, and I know I heard from God this week, and God spoke to me and, spoke and said, speak to the church and speak to us, because this is what Jesus taught and preached and declared, that if you want to follow me, it's got to be a complete commitment. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark ten seventeen. when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Jesus, they asked him, said, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good, but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross And follow me. Verse 22. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved. For he had great possessions. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I got to do? What's it going to cost me? And Jesus' answer was, well, it's going to cost you everything. He had to decide. Am I going to follow Jesus? Or am I going to keep my stuff? Because I can't do both. There's no way to follow Jesus without denying myself. And this story is not so much about money as it is about following Jesus. I just kind of wonder. Because here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was looking for another covenant partner. Just like he was looking for when he came to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want to bless you, and you're going to be a part of something supernatural that has eternal significance. Abraham, I want you to be a part of this. Now take your only son, Isaac, take him up to a hill and offer him there as a sacrifice, the thing that was most precious to him. God said, will you give it to me? And as Abraham took the boy by the hand and walked up the mountain, God said, there's a follower. There's a covenant partner right there. Look at this. And when he took his knife up to the boy god said stop now i know i just kind of wonder this is me thinking i wonder what would have happened if that young man would have said jesus whatever i gotta do i'm gonna do it i'm heading home right now and i'm gonna put everything on the market he put up the for sale sign i wonder if jesus would have said don't bother selling the house Because I know now (laughs) that you love me more than anything and you're willing to release. See, the idea, 
Some people think serving God is about what you've invested and what you've given. No, serving God is what are you holding on to. That's what Jesus is interested in. What is it that has got a hold of you? Because once you're willing to release it all, amen, then God said, I can trust you and I can bless you. I can favor you. I can put it into your life. But as long, come on somebody, as long as you're holding on to whatever it is, See, when I grew up, we sang songs about consecration. We sang, I surrender all. And I don't hear that much anymore. As we're talking about the benefits and the values and the, and, the, and the excitement of serving God. But I want to tell you that if you're going to make it through the storm and be used and be in covenant with God and be blessed of God, somewhere along the way, you've got to have that discussion where you say, what it is it, God? If i got to release it, i got to release control. As long as you're in control, you're not going to be in covenant. Now I know that thou fearest God that has withheld nothing from me. That's why the Bible says it's difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now he is talking about money. It's difficult. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why is it so tough? Why is it so difficult? Because money possesses people. God said you can't serve God and stuff. You can't serve God and money. Amen. And as long as you are convinced or committed to holding on, praise God. Amen. Then there is something that's got a hold of you that needs to release its grip. Amen. That's what's beautiful about when people are moved to sacrifice and giving. And I've seen it happen in this church. I've seen people respond to the call to sacrifice and giving. And they give, and I'm like, why are you doing that? From, from my human side, I'm like, oh, that is too much. Why would you do something like that? You have needs. Uh, but there's something God's prompted them, and God's spoken to their heart. And they're like, okay, God, it's yours, whatever it is. See, because the other side of the equation is he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, and when you're in covenant with him, amen, when you're in covenant with him, whatever he has is yours. It's not about the money. It's about releasing control to God in every area of your life and saying, you've got all of me. Praise God. Praise God. Followers say, I'm choosing him first. I'm choosing him over family. I'm choosing him over money. I'm choosing him over career goals. I'm choosing him completely. I choose him over getting drunk. I choose him over looking at porn. I choose him over my freedom. I choose him first. He is everything to me. I'm going after him with everything inside of me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. See, If we were just having a regular Christian club, I wouldn't even talk about this. But we're a part of covenant, and we've got big business to be a part of. And we need power. We need resources. We need to be tapped into our covenant partners' fighting power. Come on, somebody. We need to be tapped into our covenant partners' resources because we're a part of something eternal. Come on. We're a part of something that's bigger than what my family is doing and what I'm doing. I'm a part of something massive and huge. Covenant partnership. And so I want to be what God desires for me to be. And the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, we read this last week. 
You present your bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You give your bodies. This means, this means your time. This means your ability, your talent, and your treasure. Sometimes we like so, we got a hold of things too tight. And we're not willing to give it whatever God needs. Lord, whatever you need. You need my time. You need my treasure. You, you need my talent. God, I, it's, it's all yours. It's not mine anymore. It, it's yours anyway. Because I'm in covenant with you. Hey, he, here's a news flash. It's his anyway. And everybody's going to learn that one of these days. Covenant people are people who figured out beforehand. And when you figured out on your own through the word of God beforehand, then you tap into the resources of heaven and you become a part of his eternal plan. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's mine? Praise God. Is yours. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Praise God. Praise God. I know God's been good to us, isn't he? And we talk a lot about what, what God's done for us, but I'm wondering, what are we doing for him? Because we're in covenant relationship. He left and told us to take care of his business. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He gave us this role. Hey, praise God. And when we are in covenant with him, we don't have to worry about, am I going to have enough of what I need to take care? Because where God guides, he provides. And when he gives you a plan and he gives you something to do, he's going to take care of your needs. And I'm walking on faith today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes that's more of a miracle than walking on water is to walk on faith and to know that God is leading and guiding and directing and ordering my steps. uh, And I'm following what he would have me to be, what he would have me to do. Praise God. The last thing that I want to say as we bring this to a close is the, the, the thing that just blows my mind when I think about it. The Bible says Jesus said, follow me. And that we would be followers. The word that's translated followers is actually a word that is part of slave language. It means that we voluntarily become a slave. Wow. That's why the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter both in their letters said, I am a slave of God. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And what's the difference between a servant and a slave? A servant works for somebody. A slave is owned by somebody. A servant has rights. A slave's rights are surrendered. And this is not something that's forced on anybody. This is something that somebody opts into. That's what happens when we die out to self. We say, I am now a slave of Jesus. I know that's harsh language. That's extreme language. But that's Bible language. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And that means he is Lord. The word Lord, we think we, we use that kind of interchangeably with God, but that's not what it means. It means master from slave terminology. That means whatever he tells you to do, you're going to do it. You have surrendered rights to the master. You chose to do it. Nobody forced it on you. And when God says do it, you say, yes, Lord. Because you can't say no, Lord. Because if you say no, he's not Lord. 
Mm, mm, mm. Think about that for a minute. That's an oxymoron. That's a paradox. You can't say no, Lord. As soon as you say no, he's not Lord anymore. All you can say to him is, yes, Lord, if you're following him. Amen. Praise God. He's Lord. He is Lord. Praise God. See, right now we choose to make him Lord. But one day everybody's going to realize that he's Lord. In him we live and breathe and have our being. I can't take a breath without his presence. Without his word, I can't even exist. He is Lord of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And one day, the Bible says, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody eventually is going to say, none of this stuff's mine anyway. None of these choices are mine anyway. Praise God. Praise God. You can call him Lord now and be a part of his plan. Or fight against him and call him Lord later. But the Bible says when the Lord comes into his kingdom, he's going to put those that are in covenant with him in positions of authority and power in the days to come. Right? And so guess what? The time's coming when every knee shall bow. That means you, Kanye. That means you, LeBron. That means you, Barack. Come on, somebody. Every knee shall bow. That means you, Bill Gates. That means you, Steve Jobs. That means you, atheist. That means you, Bill Maher. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You know what? Because he's not just Lord in my imagination. He is Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, come on. Somebody praise him right now. Somebody stand up and help me praise him right now. Come on, that's it. Call him Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my master. You control it all. My life is in your hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The new covenant. The new covenant is about repentance. It's about water baptism in Jesus' name. The Bible says that we're circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, buried with him in baptism. There's a spiritual surgery. Spiritual surgery in our hearts that happens when we're under the waters of baptism in Jesus' name that causes us to come out having been detached from the old sinful nature. The cut that happened wasn't a cut with a knife, it was a spiritual surgery. It left the old nature lying in the grave. Come forth as new creatures, covenant creatures with Jesus Christ. But the thing I want you to get is this. can't bury somebody alive. I've been a part of many funerals in the ministry. Never one time have we buried somebody that was alive. Got to be dead. And entering into covenant 
relationship and operating in the covenant relationship. See, this is not about a one-time thing. This is why we sang the songs that we sang when we were growing up. Because living for God is a time. It, it is, it, the Apostle Paul said, I die every day. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's about sacrifice. It's about commitment. Ask yourself, what kind of sacrifices have I made? What pain have I endured because of my relationship with Jesus Christ? What have I had to give up because of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you carrying the cross? Because Jesus said, take up your cross daily. How do I know when I'm dead? Well, I've been around a few dead bodies before. And, and one thing I've noticed is that dead people don't fight for their rights. Dead people aren't caught up in what other people think of them. Dead people don't care how nice their clothes are or how much money they have in their account. Death is the ultimate surrender of yourself and all that you have. And you're no longer concerned with your life. You're saying, God, it's all yours. We're in covenant. I surrender all my rights, my time, my talent, my treasure. Lord, it's all yours. Take all of me. Take pray together there's an old song that came to my mind I hadn't heard it in years and years and years and as it came to my mind I thought about the words and and it impacted my life and I I want I've asked uh, for some help here to sing this song as we consider our relationship with God and we consider where we are can you close your eyes right now as we listen to the words of the song that we're going to pray together.
people in this church that are a part of the covenant with Him. You and Him. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you. point in our lives we have that moment like Abraham had, like the rich young ruler had, you and God. And uh, you have to make that decision. I'm, I'm a follower. I'm all in, Jesus. Whatever. Because I've made that decision. Made that decision. See, the deal is I made a decision a long time ago. had to kind of assess where I am. Where am I? Am I really living a life that reflects that? Or have I allowed other things in my life to kind of push him out of his throne? Have I allowed things in my life to take my attention, my time, my treasure, my talent? And, and, and has he lost his position in my life as having all of me? At that moment, that's the time when I have to say, God, I'm giving myself to you again, consecrating again, and I want you to be Lord of everything in my life. I don't want to have some things that are off limits to you, or some things that I protect or hold on to and say, this is off limits, Lord, but Lord, I surrender it all to you. See, because when you have a church of people that understand covenant or living in covenant relationship with God, there is a church that has unbelievable power, unbelievable anointing, and, and, uh, and, and they're a part of God's purpose. I desperately want to be a part of God's purpose because if our church is aligned with His purpose, then we'll have everything that we need. Amen. Praise God. We'll have everything that we need. So as we sing this song again, I want this is you and God time, all right? This is not time to... For us really to be uh, uh, praying for each other, or, or uh, there's obviously times in the altar where we do that, and the Spirit of God moves and we minister to one another. But right now, this is you and God time. And uh, if you're with your family, you can pray together with your family as well. And say this because uh, um, uh, Joshua said, "As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord." We're making that commitment. But I want us just to pray that right now and say, "Lord, let Him know, hey God, You've got all of me." And I'm following you, and I'm pursuing you, and thank you. Just thank him for the reminder, would you? Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of what it means to really follow you. In Jesus' name, as we sing this song again, let's just uh, pray together and sing this as a prayer, or pray this as a prayer to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life.
this is the thing that's haunted me since I was a kid. For if you're not Lord of everything. so much and I love his people. I love each and every one of you. I want you to share the love of the Lord with one another uh, as we're dismissed. And once again, that there there are signups out in the foyer there for our life groups. And uh, so we want to encourage you to sign up for those. God bless you. It's good to see each and every one of you. We pray God's blessings on you this week. And hopefully we'll get to see some of you on Tuesday night. The Lord bless you.